Blessings in Jesus, dear friends. My name is James Jacob Prash from Oriel Ministries. Welcome to our midweek Bible study. We're continuing in the book of Exodus, Shemot in Hebrew, the book of Exodus. Last week we concluded with chapter 9 with the uh, bovine judgments and the equestrian judgments on the animals and so forth, the boils, and we looked at those things in light of the book of Revelation. We're continuing now with the next chapter 10. Turn with me, please. To Exodus chapter 10, verse 1. The plagues of locusts. Quite a long read. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them that you may know that I am the Lord. And Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the surface of the land, so that no one shall be able to see the land. They shall also eat the rest of the, what has escaped, what is left to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. Then your houses shall be filled, and the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers had seen from that day, that they came upon the earth until this day. And he returned and went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We shall go with our young and our old. We shall go with our sons and daughters. With our flocks and our herds we will go. For we must hold a feast to the Lord. And he said, Thus the Lord may be with you, if ever I let you, your little ones, go. Take heed, for evil is in your mind. Not so. Go now, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. So they were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, even all the hail has left. Now last week we looked at the hail judgments in light of the book of Revelation, looking at how what happened in Exodus prefigures what's going to happen in the day of God's wrath when he pours out his judgment on the kingdom of Antichrist, the same way he poured out his judgment on the kingdom of Pharaoh. But just looking at the introductory verses of this chapter thus far, we see once again God hardens Pharaoh's heart in response to his own belligerence, in response to his own arrogance, as we looked at in our earlier Bible studies in Exodus. God hardens his heart and is going to use him as a kind of a stooge. But he's going to do it not just so the Egyptians will know or the world will know, but that the Hebrews will know, but not just the Hebrews of the generation of Moses and Aaron, but their children and their grandchildren until this day, 
And in the Paschal Haggadah, the Passover meal, the Seder, these judgments are still commemorated. To this day, the descendants of ancient the ancient Hebrews still commemorate this, just as God declared would happen in the book of Exodus. Even many secular Jews will still celebrate and observe Passover for at least cultural reasons when these judgments are recounted in the ritual of the Haggadah at Passover time. Once more, it's let my people go. And Pharaoh again begins to play his games. He's under pressure from his own people. Stop these judgments, stop these judgments. But again, his belligerent arrogance is not going to be satiated. Um, again, in this, he foreshadows the Antichrist to come. He's a major type of the Antichrist, as we keep on saying. But then he begins to say, you go, the Lord be with you. If ever I let you and your little ones go, take heed for evils in your mind. <clears throat> Just look at him. It's almost like he's trying to hold the children hostage. Well, we live in an age where children are being held hostage, aren't we? With education system and so forth. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land for the locusts that may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, even all that the hail has left. The judgments get progressively worse. So Moses stretched out his hand over the land of Egypt and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And in the morning, the east wind brought the locusts. We've explained before, though not in this series, perhaps, the winds in Scripture represent spiritual forces. An east wind, an east wind is a bad wind, an adverse wind. In Greek, it was a Yorikido, a northeasterner, that destroyed Paul's ship that blew it adrift in the, in the Mediterranean when they eventually were shipwrecked on Malta, in the east wind. A west wind is a positive breeze. That is a positive move of God's spirit, something God does positively. Remember, the word for wind and the word for spirit are the same in the Greek language, pneuma. In Hebrew, they're the same. The word is ruach. Ruach means spirit. Ruach means the wind. Numa means um, spirit. Numa means wind in Greek. Well, let's look. Verse 15 again. They covered the surface of the entire land so that everything was darkened. And they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit trees that the hail had left. Thus nothing green was left on tree or plant or the fields, all the lands of Egypt, through all the lands of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, I've sinned against you, the Lord your God, against you. Just as we saw with the previous judgments of the hell, he was not repentant of what he did. He was regretting the consequences, the ramifications of what he did. He regretted what he did because of the ramifications, not because it was wrong. There was no repentance. He only wanted the ramifications of his actions to stop, and then he would do the same things again, the same things again. This is the nature of fallen man generally. It's the nature of our own old nature. When we do things that are outside of God's 
standards of, of, of the way we should be living as believers in a fallen world. When we give into sin or when we give into doing things that we would be better off not doing, um, and there's ramifications for it, and maybe God will even bring correction for it. We have a the new nature wants to repent. The new creation wants to repent and not do it again. But the old man, the old woman, the old liar, the old deceiver, the old flesh that we have simply wants the correction to stop or the ramifications of our actions to stop so we can do the same sins again. The old nature only wants to escape the ramification of sin. Only the new nature wants to escape the sin itself, wants to actually repent. And Pharaoh, of course, has no new nature. Well, let's look. Please forgive my sin, he says. Only this once. Make supplication to the Lord your God that he would remove this death from me. The locust was something terrible. And he says, just this once. Just This is, this is, <laughs> this is the tenth time. Just this once. Just this, this is the tenth time. Remember, he has absolutely no intentions of letting go. The devil never lets go. Pharaoh represents the God of this world, the devil, as well as typifying the Antichrist. He does not let go. He will lie, he will scheme, he will negotiate, but not honestly. Let's look. And he went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. Now, it's interesting to note that just like the, the demons at Genserine who were possessing the demoniac, the diabolical forces, the demonic forces, evil, know that Jesus is Lord. They know that God is the Almighty. They know it. Satan actually knows it. He thought he could displace God, replace God, try to be God, try to depose God and become God himself. That's how powerful Satan was. Nonetheless, he knows that ultimately he is not God, although he is still fighting desperately. The demons know they're doomed. Satan, in his desperation and arrogance, imagines somehow he can win, it would appear from the scripture. Make supplication to the Lord. He'd remove the death from me. And he went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. So once more, so the Lord shifted the wind, a very strong west wind. Now it becomes a positive force, not east-west, okay. Which took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. Same old story. Let's continue verses 21 through 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky, that they may be darkened over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days, and they did not see one another. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. That is a very important verse. 
it is going to become very dark at the close of the age. Very dark. Only faithful believers with oil in their lamps will be able to see. Only those with the illumination of the Holy Spirit, with the scripture being a lamp to their feet, a light to their path, only the faithful believers will be able to see in the dark. Them and them alone. The apostate church will not. The unfaithful church will not. The world certainly will not. But the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go. Okay, okay. I'll let you take the kids this time. You can take the kids. Just leave the livestock. Now, the livestock would have been very important because, of, as we've seen in the previous chapter, that judgment came on the livestock. The livestock were killed by hailstones and so forth. So the only ones who had livestock that were in, in, in normal condition were, of course, the Hebrews. Leave the livestock. Ours has been destroyed by the hailstone judgments and by the boils. Well, let's look. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice them to the Lord. Therefore, our livestock too will go with us. Not a hoof will be left. For we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Beware, do not see my face again, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. Now Pharaoh says, If I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. And Moses said, You are right, Atatzodek. I will never see you again. These were the locust judgments. And I've seen film clips, and perhaps you have as well. I'm sure they're available on the internet of what locust plagues can do. Major areas of Africa have had these plagues, and it's unbelievable how many there are. They can literally blot out the sun because they're flying all over the place, and they're creeping on the land all over. The it's unbelievable how many they are. Unbelievable how fast they can reproduce and devour everything. Well, we see the language once more that we see repeatedly in biblical passages concerning the close of the age. Daniel 12, something this bad has never happened before. Matthew 24, a great tribulation has never been before and ever will be again. We see it in Jeremiah 30. Something is going to happen to Israel that's never happened before. And we've seen it now again for the second or third time, second time at least, here in Exodus with Egypt. Something this bad has never happened before since the Egyptians arrived on the earth. There's going to be so many of them. It's going to be something like you've never seen before. This is followed by darkness. Now remember, when we study the book of Exodus, we are only studying the past because it is not history. It is future history. 
we need to understand what happened in order to understand what is going to happen. Again, these judgments are replayed, for want of a better term, eschatologically. They happen again with the day of the Lord. Look with me, first of all, please, to the book of Joel. Joel chapter 1. This is the Locust Bible Study. Joel speaks of four military invasions of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian, describing the invading army as an army of God's judgment, an army of locusts. Now the locusts are called God's, God's army of judgment. He's using them even though they're bad people. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Petuel. Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell us about it. Let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. This is something the Hebrews were to pass on from generation to generation. What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. What the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. This corresponds to the four invasions of Nebuchadnezzar. What his armies did the first time was gnaw away. They took things that they wanted. <clears throat> After that, they swarmed in and took everything. Then and they crept in, and anything that was left they devoured, and then finally everything was just stripped away. The people were taken into captivity. Only a handful of poor people were even left in the land. Verse 5. <coughs> Awake, drunkards, and weep, and wail all of you wine drinkers on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. Now, Job rebukes the people for their lack of sobriety. He rebukes them for their lack of sobriety. He may have been talking about literal alcohol abuse, but he was certainly talking about being spiritually inebriated, spiritually inebriated to the realities in some way. And he says, awake drunkards and weep. I'm not joking. There's a false teacher from South Africa, Rodney Howard Brown. He was one of the patriarchs of the laughing and drunken counterfeit revival that was no revival. And he would sing a song, quote-unquote, drinking at Joel's place, about getting hysterically drunk in the Holy Spirit, drinking at Joel's place. Rodney Howard Brown was saying, go down to Joel's bar and get drunk. The book of Joel itself, however, Joel is inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, sober up sober up. We see the same thing in the Olivet Discourse. Sobriety. Sobriety. Be sober when you see the signs happening. God says be sober. Satan says be drunk. Joel says be sober. Rodney Howard Brown says be drunk. Is it true? Well, let's look. For a nation, in verse 6, has invaded my land. 
mighty and without number. Its teeth are like the teeth of a lion. It has the fangs of a lioness. And it goes on and on and how it would devour the land in God's judgment. These are the invasion of the Babylonians represented by plagues of, or pestilences, plagues of locusts. These things take place in verse 15. Alas, for the great day of the Lord is going to come with destruction. So now we're told something. It's not only talking about what happened in 585 B.C. with the Babylonian invasion of Judah. It's talking about the close of the age, the end of the world as we know it. The day of the Lord is drawing near. So what happened then has some kind of a future meaning. Okay. Once more in chapter 2 of Joel, we read about the day of the Lord, what it's going to be like. A day of darkness in verse 2 and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. The dawn is spread out over the mountains. There's a great and mighty people. There's never been anything like it, nor will there be again to the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them and a flame after them. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness after them. It's describing what's going to happen in the future in terms of the invasions by the Babylonians coming as being represented by devouring, stripping, swarming, creeping locusts. Four. Four categories, four invasions. Now, somehow, this will happen at the end of the age. These armies are going to come. We know that the armies of Antichrist will be gathered in the valley of Armageddon, and they will attack Jerusalem for their final destruction in the valley of Jehoshaphat. This is going to happen. But let's look. What else happens when these things swarm in? Verse 10 of chapter 2 of Joel. Before them the earthquakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, the stars lose their brightness. Verse 2 of the same chapter, a day of darkness, gloom. Cosmological darkness and phenomena are going to happen but they will represent things spiritually. For instance, the sun and moon will not give their light. The moon has no light of its own. It only reflects the light of the sun. The church has no light of its own. Israel has no light of its own. They can only reflect the light of the sun, the S-U-N being a metaphor for the S-O-N in Isaiah. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the risen Lord is brighter than the sun. The rising of the S-U-N is a metaphor in biblical typology and symbolism for the rising of the S-O-N. A time is going to come when the light of Jesus will not be shown. It will become so dark. And neither the church nor Israel are going to reflect the light of God. The stars lose their brightness. Remember, Abraham's descendants are like the stars of heaven. We will lose our brightness. We will not give off light. It's going to be very, very dark. What happens cosmologically 
is a reflection of what is happening spiritually at the same time. Now, this is not our main subject. Now we're only dealing with it relative to the phenomena of the locust judgment, the ninth plague. But we read this. We read further. What will happen if the people repent? What will happen if the people repent? God is telling them to repent. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep. Let them weep. Let the people repent. God says if he does that, he'll have pity on the people. Okay. Verse 20, I will remove, in chapter 2, verse 20, I'll remove the northern army far from you and drive it into a parched and desolate land and its vanguard into the eastern sea and its rear guard into the western sea. Now, these seas obviously would refer to the Red Sea and they would refer, you know, the, the, the Persian Gulf, the Gulf of Arabia, things like that to the east and the Mediterranean to the west. But he would drive them into the sea, okay? And its stench will arise and its foul smell will come up. It's done great things, okay? Well, when that happens, we see this in verse 25. I will make up for you up to you for the years the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, the gnawing locust, my great army which I set upon you. So this has a meaning for 585 BC, the Babylonian invasions on the Nebuchadnezzar. It has a meaning for the close of the age. It's going to happen again at the end of the age with these locusts. And God is going to bring an army against Israel. They will gather for, for their own destruction, of course, in the Valley of Armageddon, in, uh, in the heart of Megiddo. Um, the, the, the valley is actually the Valley of Jezreel. Armageddo is literally the Mount of Megiddo that overlooks the Valley of Jezreel. Now let's look once again. We see it. And he's going to blow the locusts into the sea, just like he did in Egypt. In Egypt, it's a judgment on Egypt. In Joel, it's a judgment on uh, backslidden Judah. At the close of the age, it's a judgment on the kingdom of Antichrist. Now, if you can believe it, if you can believe it, and some of you may have heard it, we had people, and we still have them. Today we call them the New Apostolic Reformation. They've absorbed the same beliefs. But they used to be called dominionists or triumphalists. They were people caught up in kingdom now theology. They followed the Kansas City false prophets and people like Mike Bickle. This belief that the church was going to conquer the world before Christ comes that the church would conquer the world before Christ comes. Now, this is directly contrary to Scripture. We're told in Romans, the Lord of glory will trample Satan under your feet. <clears throat> um, he's going to rescue the church and then come back with it and conquer the kingdom of Satan and Antichrist. The people who were caught up in this nonsense, like the restoration movement in England, people like uh, Roger Foster and people like... Uh, the late Bryn Jones and, and Terry Virgo and Gerald Coates is also no longer with us. They were teaching this nonsense. 
Many of them were even denying there even was a rapture. No, it's not rapture. We're going to conquer the world. That's what they were saying. And they had a theme song. And their theme song that they adopted came from the book of Joel. They got the lyrics of their theme song from Joel. Now, we see in Joel that the locusts, the great army, are the army of the Babylonians. And they mean something for the end of the world. What? Look with me, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 9. Verse 7, and the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. Again, <coughs> the insects rep are, are representations of an army. Horses prepared for battle. And on their heads, as it were, crowns like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. This goes on and it describes them and what they're like and what they're going to do and their demonic powers. And they have as king over them, in verse 11, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek his name is Apollyon, meaning destroyer. This is the first woe, the first woe of the three woes in Revelation. These are the locusts. This speaks, of course, of the day of the Lord. These locusts are coming. So they mean the Babylonians, and then they mean the demon cohorts of hell. They're the Babylonians, then they're the demon cohorts of hell at the close of the age. I'm not joking. These people who were caught up in dominion theology and kingdom now theology over-realized eschatology, which they mix with hyper-charismatic extremism, etc., Today, it's basically the New Apostolic Reformation encompasses the same beliefs. They were literally singing their theme song from Joel. We run on the cities, we run on the walls. Great is the army who carries his word. We run on the... <clears throat> they were singing about the demon cohorts of hell. They were singing about the Babylonians. And in their twister scripturing ignorance, they thought they were singing about themselves. Now, if there's people in the Vineyard Movement, or people in New Frontiers, or people, you know, in, 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 in these, these things, or, or the New Apostolic Reformation, if there's people in these things who are singing their theme song, saying that they are the locusts, they are the great army, an army that God is going to judge and destroy, he says. It's an army he will judge and destroy after he uses it for his purposes. If those people say that that's them, if they're the Babylonians or they're the demon cohorts of hell, if they're an army that God is going to destroy in judgment, and that's who they think they are, well, who am I to argue? Who am I to argue? That's who they want to be. What am I going to do about it? That is how ridiculous, how ridiculous this false theology is. It mixes hyper-charismatic extremism with 
hyper-Calvinistic reconstructionism, if that makes any sense to you. They take the ideas of people like Austin Sparks and, and, and distort them to a length of things that he never taught or believed. This idea that we're going to conquer the whole world before Christ comes and we're the mighty army and we're going forth. And they had other theme songs. <laughs> a member of Roger Foster's sect, Roger Foster, of course, said there's no hell. There's annihilation. Was the, the composer Graham Kendrick. And Graham Kendrick wrote another theme song for them. Now is the time for us to march upon the land. We're building a kingdom of power, not of words. Well, first of all, our kingdom is built of words, the word of God. They don't have any power. No revival came from this nonsense. They sing this absolute rubbish that there can be an ultimate victory over the forces of Satan and his grip on the world prior to the parousia, prior to the return of Christ. What they really begin doing is glorifying the church. Their faith becomes ecclesiocentric instead of Christocentric. Now, today, the NAR perpetuates and continues these same absurd beliefs. Mike Bickle was another leading figure propagating this in the 1990s. They, IHOP. I, I, I wish IHOP was not International House of Prayer. It's it, I, 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 The only IHOP I like is the International House of Pancakes in the States. It's not them. It's horrible. But here you have it. These locusts are the demonic powers of hell. God's going to use them for his purpose, but then he's going to destroy them. He used the Babylonians for his purpose, but then he used the Persians, as Isaiah predicted, to destroy them. These are the locust judgments. What happened in Egypt, in the book of Exodus, chapter 10, is what will happen again at the close of the age in the book of Revelation, as predicted by Joel. Now, what we see in Joel, what we see in Joel immediately after this, is darkness. A darkness comes. Okay. Chapter 9, verse 3 of Revelation, out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. These locusts, okay. <clears throat> and then this is followed by an incredible darkness. Once again, the book of Joel tells us the sun and moon will not give their light after the locusts are unleashed. Well, what do we see in the book of Exodus? The same exact pattern. The locusts are unleashed. They come in judgments. God then destroys the locusts but the world does not repent. Pharaoh does not repent. Antichrist is not going to repent. And a great darkness is going to come. Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, that they may be darkness over Egypt. This darkness that we see in Exodus, the book of Joel and the book of Revelation tells us is going to be replayed. To understand the book of Joel, we have to understand the book of Exodus. 
To understand the book of Revelation, we have to understand the book of Joel in light of Exodus. Exodus, Joel, Revelation. They all speak of these locusts and this darkness following it. This will be the first woe in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> but to understand the first woe in the book of Revelation, we have to understand Joel. And to understand Joel, we have to understand Exodus chapter 10. Thank you so much for listening. We'll continue, Lord willing, next week. This message is pre-recorded because by the time you hear it, I shall probably be in Europe, but I'm due back in Britain next week and we will continue with our normal live stream, God willing, next week. We'll be up to chapter 11, the final judgment. Thank you so very much for listening. God bless. Thank you.